Praise the Lord for that. Well, this Sunday we're continuing, and you'll notice these papers here. Please don't throw them away. We're going to use them in a second, so um, we'll talk about that in a second. But we're continuing uh, this Sunday with our sermon series on discipleship. And we're, we're heading somewhere, so bear with us as we get there. But today we're going to talk about discipleship and community. Okay? And for, as we think through discipleship and community, I thought it a good idea to look at discipleship in the life modeled by the Lord Jesus Christ. How he went about discipleship, both in his own life and in his ministry. And of course, it happened in community. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to read to start. We're going to read the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. And we're going to read the Great Commission because, in my opinion, um, and arguably factually, um, this is the greatest submission of the call of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we have been discipled by the Lord Jesus Christ, or these men particularly, the, the, the apostles. And then the call is for them to go out and to make other disciples. And that's what we want to be faithful to as a church, as people of God, right? We're discipled ourselves and we go out and we make other disciples. And so that's what we're praying to continue to foster in us. We talked about the definition of disciple being someone who learns and applies the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we've talked about the process of discipleship being doing that, learning and, and applying the teachings of Jesus in community. Okay, and that's what we're seeking to do. So we're going to read Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, and then we'll pray together and then we'll jump in. Beginning in verse 16, it says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And this is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me, friends. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful morning, for the great weather we've been having. And even above that, we thank you so much for another opportunity to come together and pour our hearts to you and worship through song. I thank you for those who faithfully led us this morning in singing. Lord, I thank you that we felt your presence in a special way as we sung to you. And I pray that you would continue to be present with us as I endeavor to preach this word and we endeavor to learn and apply what you're saying to us. Lord God, grant me clarity and communication, conviction. May your word go forth and through the power of Holy Spirit accomplish in the hearts and the minds of every person present here exactly what you sent it to do, Lord Jesus. May you grant us soft hearts, ears to hear and receive. Would you be with our children as they're spread out around hearing the, the word? And Lord, please work in their heart, Lord, that when time comes, your word would be as good seed sown in good soil. And you would reap a harvest from their life, 30, 60, even 100-fold times that which was sown. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for your kindness to us. We thank you for your mercy to us, Lord, because we don't deserve it. But you are just so good to keep giving in abundance. Lord, all this we ask in Jesus' matchless name. Amen and amen. 
And so today, um, it won't be, I won't be preaching as such. It'll be a little bit more of a lecture. So if you'll bear with me, I want us to really get these points. We're going to be jumping around the scripture a little bit. Um, and, and we're going to come from, from points, from, from topics, if you will. And so the first point we're going to be taking a look at is this. As we talk about the life of discipleship modeled by the Lord Jesus Christ, the first thing I want us to see here is that Jesus prioritized discipleship in both his own life and in his ministry. Okay, Jesus prioritized discipleship in his life and in his ministry. Uh, the first time we encounter Jesus in the Gospels, right, outside of his birth narrative and before he steps on the scene in his full ministry at the age of 30, the first and only time we see Jesus, right, is when he's 12 years old. In the book of Luke, chapter 2, Luke tells us that Jesus' parents had gone to Jerusalem in order to celebrate the Passover feast, and as they're on their way back home to Galilee, they learn that Jesus isn't with them. They left Jesus back in Jerusalem. And so they hoof it, they make their way back to Jerusalem, looking for Jesus, and guess where they find him? In the temple. They find Jesus in the temple, and they say, and, and, and it says, Luke tells us, that he's sitting with the teachers, learning and asking questions. Right? In other words, Jesus, 12-year-old Jesus, is pursuing discipleship. 12-year-old Jesus stays back so that he can learn about God, his Father, and so that he can ask questions about what this really means for him. How does he apply this to his life? And when his mom finds him in the temple. I really like this exchange. You know, she says, well, what you doing? Right? You gave me a heart attack, right? Why you do this to your dad? That, that's what she would say if she was from, from Atlanta, right? She's, you know, why, why are you doing this to us? And I love what Jesus says in response. Jesus says, he says, why were you searching for me? Why were you looking for me, mom? He says, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? I like another the other translation of it says, didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? Isn't that a great tattoo? <laughs> didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? For Jesus at 12 years old, the only, other t the only story we have about his life in between being born and 30 Jesus is going about his father's business. And what is his father's business? That he would be learning and asking questions, right? For Jesus, the father's business is what? His discipleship. Is his discipleship. For Jesus, growing in wisdom and understanding of the things of God, his father, is his top priority. And then as, as we move on in the gospel, the next time Jesus comes on the scene, he's about 30 years old at this point. And what is he doing at this point? First time we see him, he's being discipled. The second time, what is he doing? Taking on disciples. He goes from being discipled to discipling other people. And what this tells us about Jesus is that he's become a rabbi. 
a Jewish rabbi, a teacher, a, a discipler of men. And we know that he's become a rabbi for a couple of different reasons. One of them, and it's a really big reason, is that everyone, when Jesus steps on the scene, if you read it, you'll notice this, everyone considers Jesus a rabbi, even his opponents. Even his opponents call him a teacher and a rabbi, and that probably lends, lends to why they disliked him so much, because as a truly acclaimed and approved rabbi, he didn't fit their understanding of what a rabbi should be. Choosing the kind of men that he chose, living the way he chose to live, and that likely made them upset. The second reason we know that he's a rabbi is because of the ages that we get from, right? At 12, he's seeking to be discipled, and at 30, he's discipling other people as a rabbi. And what Jewish tradition tells us is that at 12 years old, if a young Jewish boy showed a lot of promise, as Jesus did back in Luke chapter 2, if he showed a lot of promise as a student of the scriptures and the law, what would happen is that he would enter into a discipling relationship with a rabbi. And for years he would follow that rabbi, he would learn from that rabbi, and then if... If approved by that rabbi at the age of 30 and not a day before the age of 30, he would then be able to take on disciples himself and be a rabbi. And so it seems highly likely that between the ages of 12 and 30, Jesus had given himself to some level of discipleship that would allow him to be approved as a rabbi, a discipler himself, when he turns 30. We understand that Joseph was a carpenter and Jesus likely knew something about the trade, but it's highly unlikely that if he had given a majority of his life to being a tradesman, that he would have been approved as a rabbi. So Jesus, as a disciple of men, a rabbi. And so what this tells us about Jesus, right, is that in his own life, he prioritized discipleship, being discipled, and then in his ministry for the rest of his life, he prioritized being a discipler of other people. And so why should we prioritize discipleship in our own life? And it's very simple, because prioritizing discipleship is Christ-like. Prioritizing our own discipleship is to be like Jesus. Well, the second thing I want us to learn about discipleship from Jesus' life and ministry is that discipleship takes place best. As a matter of fact, not even best, for Jesus, discipleship takes place only in community. In the life of Jesus, discipleship does not take place outside of community. From the Gospels, we know that Jesus took on a ton of disciples, right? And one place we read that he had about 120 of them. But among those disciples, he had 12 close disciples. These were the men who were closest to him, the, the ones who he poured the most into. Mark chapter 3, verse 14 tells us that he appointed 12 men that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. We could preach about four sermons on that one verse alone. But it's enough to say that Jesus discipled these men and then he sent them out in order to make disciples themselves. And it's really important for us to see here as we talk about community that Jesus did not choose just one disciple. That would have likely been a lot easier, wouldn't it? 
Just have one person to pour into. But he chose 12 men and not just any men. Not just any men. These were a very diverse, peculiar set of men. Different walks of life, different temperaments, chosen to do life together in order to prepare them for the call that God had on their lives. And let me tell you how different these men were in case you've missed this. Among these 12, Jesus intentionally chose a tax collector named Matthew. And then on the other end, he chose a zealot named Simon. And I'll tell you about the relationship between these two. A tax collector, or a Jewish tax collector at the time, was probably the most hated individual in Jewish culture during this time because they were seen as Roman sympathizers, those who sympathized and served the oppressive Roman government of the time. Tax collectors were known for taking money from their, from their fellow Jews, a lot of times much more than they should have taken, and then giving it back to the Roman government or these Roman oppressors. Jews really didn't like tax collectors, but Jesus chose a tax collector. And then he chose a zealot. Zealots, on the other hand, hated the Roman sympathizers more than anybody to the point where they were making plans to overthrow the government by force, by violent force. At one point, there was actually a sect of the zealots that rose up. They were called the Sicarii. That word means dagger men or hidden dagger men. And what these men were known for doing was hiding daggers in their cloaks. And they would go out into crowded streets. They would snuggle up next to a Roman official and they would essentially dagger them to death and then disappear into the crowd. Historically, and this is fact, they were known as the first ninja assassins in history. And so Jesus literally chose a Roman sympathizer and a Roman sympathizer killer to be on the same team. What's more is Jesus intentionally chose Judas Iscariot to be on this team. And we know what he did, right? But why does Jesus choose this particular group of people? Oh, and I want to show you something real quick. If you put up that slide of the picture, I want to show I don't know how well you can see this, but this is an, a picture of the actual uh, Leonardo da Vinci's uh, uh, Last Supper um, painting. And if you go all the way to the right, that last person all the way to the right, that is Leonardo da Vinci's impression of Simon the Zealot. And then if you skip over one person and go to that third person, that's his impression of Matthew or Levi, the tax collector. And if you see, they're in heated debate. And then that's Thaddeus in between them um, trying to mitigate, trying to mediate their issue. But it was well known in church history that having those two men on the same team, humanly speaking, was not a good idea. And that's what Leonardo da Vinci was hoping to show us here in his impression of the Last Supper. And so why would Jesus choose such a diverse group of people? It's because Jesus understood that discipleship happened best in community, in diversity, with different perspectives, different ideas, different walks of life, so that when those lives came together and rubbed against each other, it would be as iron sharpening iron, right? One man strengthening another. This is the reason why community happens best. In, I mean, a discipleship happens best in community especially diverse community. It's really hard to grow and be challenged when you're sitting with a bunch of people who think just like you. 
And so it's a blessed thing, it's a good thing for us to be with people who are different from us, learning the ways of Jesus and seeking to apply them, because that's the way Jesus did. And if Jesus did it, I think, I think it's a good idea. I think it's a good idea. Discipleship does not happen in a vacuum, but it flourishes in the context of community. Diverse community at that. And lastly, I want us to see this from Jesus' model. That discipleship in community culminates, finds its apex, its climax in friendship. At the end of Jesus' life at the, and at the end of his three years with his disciples, in his closing remarks and his prayers for them, Jesus tells them in John chapter 15, verse, verse 15, he says this. He says, I no longer call you servants because servants do not know their master's business. Now, Jesus never called them servants. Another word is slave. What he's talking to is the, is the nature of a hierarchical relationship. He says, listen, from now on, it's not me up here and you up here. But he goes on to say, instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I have made known to you. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, all this time that I've spent with you have led us to this one point. That we're no longer master disciple, but now we are friends. Friends was the friendship was the culmination of this discipling community. They were now Jesus' friends and they were now each other's closest friends. Tax collector and zealot, now friends. And this, the result of discipleship happening in community. When we pursue discipleship like Jesus, brothers and sisters, we pursue community like Jesus. And when we pursue community like Jesus, brothers and sisters, we get friendship like Jesus got. Later on in the text, in the, in the, in the Gospels, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, no greater love has a man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. That tells us, brothers and sisters, that when Jesus went to the cross, when Jesus was crucified, Jesus was not dying for strangers. Jesus died for friends. And Jesus desires us, in the context of community, to lay our lives down the same way for each other, for friends. This is what it means to be in community. This is what it means to be discipled together in community. And as your pastors, brothers and sisters, our hope for us is that we would be committed to this process of discipleship. This process of helping each other grow and learning what the Lord Jesus desires for us and applying that to our lives. And so toward that end, we have... We are now rolling out, again, discipleship groups. And by the grace of God and the kindness of this particular gentleman who has stepped up, Mr. Patrick Colts, um, he is now going to be our volunteer discipleship coordinator. And he is now going to come and talk to us a little bit about how we are now going to intentionally pursue discipleship in the context of ministry. I mean, context of community. Amen? Amen. Amen.
Hey guys. Thank you for that sermon. That was really amazing. Um, so I'm super excited to be in a phase of life where I just have the capacity to be able to be a brother to you guys in this way. Um, and I care a lot about your spiritual walks individually, and I know that that feeds into us as a church family, and it feeds into my, uh, feeds into my spiritual walk and my discipleship. And I, I've served on the sound team for a little bit, and I just want to say it'll be nothing like that. I'm really sorry for all the hot mics and any hearing loss, <laughs> and I'll try to be have it more together. I plan to attack this a little bit more like when I eat chips and salsa. Like, I'm going to make sure every chip is eaten until the salsa is gone, if that makes sense. Um, so anyway, I'm going to do a little recap on discipleship. Um, so we're going to ask the question, what is a disciple? So a disciple is a person who is learning and applying the teachings of Jesus in their lives. So I like to think of this as an apprenticeship to Jesus. Um, And in Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest to take my yoke upon you and to learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is just such a beautiful call here to to lay our desires before the Lord, to take his yoke, to do his work, his work, at, and, and discipleship is part of that, and, and that he's uh, going to give us rest for our souls. It's a beautiful call. Um, and one of the one of the best analogies that I've heard so far for discipleship is the classic riding a bike example, um, because Jesus has created humans in such a way that we can actually learn things and it becomes a part of who we are, becomes a part of how we act. So when we start to ride a bike, we're thinking about pedaling and maybe our balance and steering. But the more you practice that, the more you think less on how to make the bike move and you can think more on where you're headed. Um, And so it's like that with discipleship. We have to take those things on. We have to practice uh, the teachings of Jesus. We have to apply them to our lives. And then when a coworker gets angry at us or somebody cuts us off on the interstate or the worst of the worst happens, we're able to respond in a kingdomly way because we've been practicing these things through discipleship. Um, So... Even just, uh, I was reading this morning, James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. I mean, how can you do that if you don't practice, right? You can't just immediately find joy in a trial, right? You have to practice. You have to know what joy is. You have to know your identity is in Jesus. Um, So then we're going to talk about, next slide, what is a discipleship group. So a discipleship group is when a small number of Christians choose to walk with each other to learn and apply the teachings of Jesus together. Um, And in Colossians 3, uh, it says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So again, this is just another beautiful call that we need to do this together. Um, So next, what does a discipleship group do? Three very simple things. We're going to pray together, we're going to confess sin to each other, and we're going to study the Bible. They're simple, but they will be huge in... In your walk with the Lord, in helping you to grow into the kingdom, and in your relationships together. 
So next, how do we do this at Redeemer? Um, pretty simple. Next slide. We are. You can go ahead and email me. That's a terrible photo. Thank you, Leon. Yes, it was taken this morning. And never mind. Just let's skip over that. All right. Anyway, no, no. You can go back. You can go back. Um, you can email me. Uh, it's it's just discipleship at redeemeratl.org. Um, you can go to the next slide. I'm going to ask you guys a few questions, just kind of basic stuff of like, what works best for your schedule? Are you comfortable? Like what group size are you comfortable with? And also, would you be willing to host or do you want to be hosted? Um, and once I have that information and, and kind of an idea of your preferences, what you're looking for, I'm going to be praying and trying to line people up and hopefully, we can get groups going in a couple of weeks, you know, some something within there. So we'll just kind of have to see, like, what all of you have to say. And, and, and you can also just come up and talk to me. So we can go to the next slide. Or that is the last slide. So you can also just come up and talk to me. And also the pamphlets around the chairs. I know Drew and I put a lot of work into those and printing them. So feel free just to fill those out and put them in there. Um, so, yeah, just a reminder, we really want our church to be a place where discipleship is ingrained in what it means to be a part of this church. And so whether this is um, discipleship is totally new to you, you've never done it before, or whether you've been in discipleship groups before, this is for you. So please reach out to me. Um, like I said, I want to be a brother to you. I want to help support you in this. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray for us, and, and we'll move on. So... Lord Jesus, we come before you, God, and uh, we just thank you for calling us into your kingdom. Um, we just pray, Lord, that you will convict us and inspire us to come together as a community, Lord, that you will use discipleship as a way to um, just renew us, to give us rest for our souls, to bring us together as a family, Lord, and um, ultimately, just to bring you glory, Lord. I pray that the fruits of discipleship would just be service and love just pouring out from each of us and from this community, Lord. Um, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would be present in these groups, that you would just protect us from um, all the many different little traps that keep us from developing deeper friendships with people um, and and coming to know you more, Lord. I pray that you would be with our schedules, that you'd be with our priorities, God, that you would help us to align our priorities with your kingdom, God. And um, just pray that people really come forward and that we can all come together in this. And uh, we just thank you, Jesus, and pray all this in your name. Amen.